our loving father in heaven we thank you for giving us the privilege to be among the living today praise honor glory and adoration be unto your name now and forevermore once more we have another day before us and we want to live our lives in a way that will glorify your name therefore we ask lord consecrate us to your service we pray that the things we will learn today will build upon all the other things we've been learning to bring us to reflect the image of our lord and savior jesus christ that we may fulfill our purpose in life today also we pray that you put your words in our mouth that we may speak the words of blessings to all who would listen thank you lord for hearing and thank you for answering our prayers in jesus name i prayed amen our high calling may 22 most happy people on earth these things have i spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full john chapter 15 verse 11 we as christians are not required to go about with long faces sighing as though we had no savior and no hope this will not glorify god he desires us to be cheerful he desires us to be filled with praises to his name he desires us to carry light in our countenances and joy in our hearts we have a hope that is far above any pleasures that the world can give and this fact should be made manifest why should not our joy be full full lacking nothing we have an assurance that jesus is our savior and that we may draw freely from him we may partake freely of the rich provision that he has made for us in his word we may take him at his word believe on him and know that he will give us grace and power to do just as he bids us we may constantly seek the joy of his presence we need not be all the time upon our knees in prayer but we may constantly be asking for his grace even when we are walking on the streets or when we are engaged in our ordinary daily duties we may constantly keep the mind ascending to christ and he will freely impart to us of his grace the joy of christ is a pure unalloyed cheerfulness it is not a cheap gaiety that leads to vanity of words or lightness of conduct no we are to have his joy and his greatest joy was to see men obeying the truth plead with god saying i make an entire surrender i give myself away to thee then be joyful the word is in you purifying and cleansing your character god does not want his children to go about with anxiety and sorrow expressed in their faces 
He wants the lovely expression of his countenance to be revealed in every one of us who are partakers of the divine nature. For we have power to escape the corruptions of the world. We are not, because Christ died, left a company of orphans. It is possible for us to obtain victory after victory and be the most happy people on the face of the earth. Amen. The title of our devotion is Most Happy People on Earth. Our key text still studying the book of John 15. This time we are reading verse 11 and it says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. I think we need to ask ourselves the question, what things is Jesus referring to that he spoke to us so that our joy will be full? Because if we don't know the things he is referring to, then we will not know the source of our joy. Before I go to the things that Jesus spoke that ought to be the source of your joy and my joy, I want to explore, first of all, some other sources, false sources of joy. You see, the way Christianity is today and the way the world is, especially I would say Christianity and even merge with the world because even many other religions don't see things this way. People have bec- have come to a place where they think falsely and sadly so that the source of joy is found in material things and other worldly attainments. For example, the world and even most Christians begin to see, think that it is when they get the visa to travel to America that their joy should be full. Others think that marriage, when you get married, that is when your joy should be full. And others, it is about achievements like graduation, getting educated, and that is the source of joy. But I want you to reason with me for a while. So, these same people who feel that marriage is the source of joy are the same ones who are actually sad in marriage because maybe they don't have children or maybe they don't have a job or maybe they are not as affluent as they wish to be or maybe they are trying to get a visa to travel and they don't have it or they do have children and their children are not doing as well as they would want them to do. What is the point in all this? You see, happiness drawn from earthly sources indeed is as changeable as varying circumstances can make them. You attach your happiness to this earthly thing and just as soon as you get it, the happiness fades and then you attach it to another thing and just as soon as you get that, it it fades again. So let me go through life. A child is born and then he starts to grow and he's told that, oh, your happiness is when you pass your exams in school and then he passes the exam but that one is over and then another one comes and it keeps coming that way and then you find out that the joy is always short-lived. Just as soon as you finish your first yeah, your first school living certificate next thing you go to the secondary school the high school and you feel that oh just as soon as I pass this exam my boy, my joy will be full and then you are through it's high school and then you go to university where's the joy for the high school it's gone now you're in university all the joy you got from passing high school 
you don't even remember it it did not sustain you so long highest it stayed a few days and it's gone now you're in university the joy that you got from there cannot sustain you till this time you are stuck and perhaps you cannot graduate i thought joy came from passing exams well you passed some exams before how come you're not happy again because there's another one that you have attached your joy to that you feel like unless i graduate from the university i won't be happy but finally you graduate oh you rejoice convocation you make all the ceremonies i'm joyful i've graduated then that joy is short-lived also you now feel like i must get a job before i'm joyful and when the job does not come oh how sad are you how sad are we people weep and cry because they don't have one and perhaps some have and while doing well financially many think that unless they get married they will not be happy and they do get married and they oh what a noise they make when they get married the wedding the money spent millions are spent just because of marriage and people feel that the wedding itself is the source of joy they dance they jump they do all sorts of things on that day as though they have won a ticket to heaven through marriage what manner of things are done on that the music and all of that but then in the marriage there's a lot that can take away the joy for some right there on that day joy goes away right there for others a lot of things happen things are not going as well as you planned the money is not coming in and then there's no joy or even if the money is coming in some do not have children and there's no joy and even those who have children, they feel like, oh, my children, I need them to do this and do that. You see, joy goes away. But is this the way God wants us to live? Jesus said there's something he spoke to us that should give us permanent joy. Not this changeable joy that we attach to worldly material things and earthly things that is changeable as various circumstances make them. This is a kind of joy that is full, as in, Jesus said, your joy might be full. That's what he says. Nothing is going to take away that joy from you. So what is the thing that Jesus spoke? That he said that these things I just told you now, I said them to you so that you have a kind of joy that doesn't change. A kind of joy that is full. I want to go through it all. He has been speaking many things before this particular passage. He started after the Passover in the book of John 14. He started to speak to them and said, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. And then he continued to speak to them many things and promised them that he will give them the Holy Spirit. He promised us that he will give us the Holy Spirit. And in verse 12 of John 14, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do, 
shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because i go unto my father and whatsoever you ask in my name that will i do that the father may be glorified in the son if you ask anything in my name i will do it if you love me keep my commandments and i will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Going down to verse 27, he then said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you will rejoice. Because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the Prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go. And then in verse 15, chapter 15, he starts to say, Abide in me, and I in you. That's reading from verse uh, 4 now. As a branch cannot be a fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. So these are the things we've been studying for the past few days. In verse 1 of chapter 15, he gave the analogy of him being the vine and the father being the husband man and we being the branches and we cannot bear fruit except we abide in him. But the father's work is that he purges us as the branch. Jesus himself is the vine. He in and of himself has all the power to supply to us, to give us strength to bear much fruit. He will give us strength to be like him because the fruit we are going to bear is the fruit of his character. And after speaking all these things, he made us understand we are clean through the word he has spoken unto us. And if we continue to abide in him, we will remain clean and continue to bear good fruit. And it is because of all this that he continued to say in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these were the things that led him to say, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Amen. Do you see that nothing Jesus said here is about having cars and houses and wives and children and nothing there is about material things? He didn't tell them, I'm speaking these things unto you that my joy may be full. And the things he said is, I'm going to give you a car. You see, you are going to have uh, uh, prosperity in the world. In fact, as he kept on speaking in John 16 verse 33, he told them, these things have I spoken unto you that in this world, you might have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So what is the source of our joy? Why should we as Christians not carry long faces misrepresenting Jesus because we don't have certain things the world has? Is that the source of our joy? 
the source of our joy is in the knowledge that God, that Jesus has given us victory over sin and that he has given us an assurance of a world to come that is going to be glorious. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many are many mansions. That is the source of joy. Also, the source of joy is that we are partakers of the divine nature. We have a hope that is far above any pleasures that the world can give. And this fact should make us joyful and it should show in our countenances, in our actions, in the expression on our face. It should show that we have a hope. The source of our joy is the hope of eternal life, the hope of being with God with pleasures forevermore. What does the world have to offer? The world has to offer us a lot that will not give us eternal life, but rather will destroy us. But Jesus has to offer us something better. Hope. And that hope I read in John 14 verse 1 to 3. The hope of eternal life, the hope of living with God forevermore in bliss, mansions, living, going from world to world with our capacities increased, our whole body changed to immortal and incorruptible flesh. This is the hope that should make us joyful. Hope is what gives us that joy. The hope that Jesus is going to reward us. First of all, hope that he's going to give us victory over sin and joy right now that He is giving us the victory already that we are becoming partakers of the divine nature. It was Peter in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 reading from verse 3 who said his divine power has given us everything that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Amen. This is a source of joy that God has given us great precious promises and we have hope in those promises that we are going to be partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. And seeing ourselves gaining victory after victory, we know that we can be joyful. Not that I have the things the world has, but I have the hope that I'm going to get things that are even better. But even that, even even if that was not promised to me, presently I have a source of joy in the knowledge that God has given me victory over sin. I have joy knowing that God has said He will throw my sins into the depth of the sea and that he will cause me to walk in his statutes and he's already doing it and i can be joyful even now what was the source of joy for jesus it was in seeing us being obedient to his commandments and this is to be the source of our joy in the reading for today we see in page 148 paragraph 4 of our high calling the joy of christ is a pure unalloyed cheerfulness it is not a cheap gaiety that leads to vanity of words or lightness of conduct no we are to have his joy and his greatest joy was to see men obeying the truth what is the joy of heaven the bible tells us jesus himself said there is 
great joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. Angels rejoice to see us walk in the truth, obeying the word of God. And that is to be the source of our joy. The source of joy in heaven and the source of joy for Jesus is when he sees us walk in the way of truth, obeying the truth. And that should be the source of your own joy too. It's not to be about material possessions and material things, but rather it is to be about us seeing ourselves gaining victory after victory, taking hold of the promises of God by faith and He giving us power to walk in the way of righteousness. You know very well that when you are in sin, it's not joyful. It's not something to be happy about. When we repent of the sin, by taking hold of the faith, the promises of God, by faith taking hold of the promises of God, we can be joyful knowing that He has promised to forgive us and to throw us into the depth of the sea. We are not we cannot be joyful while remaining in the sin. But while we when we do sin against God, we can ask for repentance, ask for for forgiveness and and he will grant us the forgiveness. So we can be joyful when we do sin against God. He has promised us that if we confess, he will forgive. Then we ask for forgiveness and begin to walk in newness of life determining not to go back then we live a life of joy may the lord help us and give us the grace so that we can remove our joy from earthly things because it doesn't last and it doesn't even give joy but let our joy come from the same source that jesus had which is to see ourselves transforming into the character of jesus amen what a beautiful text it says that these things have i spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full in other words jesus has joy and he wants that joy to remain in us so that our joy will be complete you know we are so used to these drippings and droplets of joy we have not really tasted the fullness of joy which is the joy that is in christ zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 it said the lord had the lord thy god is in the midst of thee he is mighty he will save he will rejoice over thee with joy he will rest in his love he will joy over thee with singing can you imagine the joy that god is so happy that he will sing over us he will rejoice over us he will rest in his love he will joy over thee with singing we also hear that angels rejoice when one sinner repents and turns to christ and the world we live in now we see that there are so many things that are designed by satan to steal our joy to make us gloomy unthankful and uncheerful no wonder why jesus's ministry is to restore unto us the years that the locusts had eaten isaiah 61 verse 3 says to appoint unto them that mourn in zion to give them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness the plantings of the lord that he might be glorified we see that the glory his glorification the glory of the father is tied to our joy the, you see satan 
wants us to be heavy having heaviness of heart and gloominess and mournful and but jesus is coming to give us beauty for ashes and we can even have it now see when we live by faith on the son of god the fruits of the spirit will be seen in our lives not one will be missing so there may be an apparent connection with christ without a real union with him by faith a profession of religion places men in the church but the character and conduct show whether they are in connection with christ deserve ages six seven six so we must come to the point where we would like hezekiah lay all in god's hands and also like habakkuk will say that although the fig tree shall not blossom neither shall fruits be in the vines the labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat the flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls yet i will rejoice in the lord i will joy in the god of my salvation the lord god is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon my high places you understand that habakkuk is saying that no circumstances there is nothing that will change my mind i've made up my mind whatever the fig tree shall not blossom i don't care i will joy in the lord it cannot affect my joy now there is there's is something in isaiah that is worthy of note because isaiah 58 verse 13 says that we are to call the sabbath a delight in other words it's a delightful day it's one of the signs where god wants to show us that he wants us to find delight and joy in him then shall thou delight thyself in the lord you see we are trying to find joy in things we've not really learned to delight ourselves in the lord to find joy in the lord we said the joy of the lord is our strength but we have not really tasted that joy and jesus himself said in mark chapter 2 verse 27 said the sabbath was made for man why is that so he said it was so the, the definition is that it was made for man's benefit for his delight and joyfulness so the son of man is lord even of the sabbath he is the lord of delight the lord of joyfulness but of all the days the one that is now the most joyless for the so-called believer is the seventh day which is the sabbath that's the day where people try to find joy in other things instead of trying to put all together to begin to learn how to love the lord and find the light and joy in him but let us go through three biblical stories of joyfulness and see how it connects now there is a jerusalem john chapter 5 say now there is a jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in hebrew tongue bethesda having five porches in these lay a multitude of impotent folks of blind halt withered waiting for the moving of the water now you understand that this is a place it's like it's like a hospital where people 
sick people gathered waiting for the moving of the water that's a very gloomy place you know in a place where there is so much sickness sicknesses you you hardly see people happy or joyful it's always mourning and glooming and so many who had succeeded in reaching it died upon its brink when they some some who struggle to reach the water when it's moving only for them to be trampled on the foot by those who are stronger shelters had been erected about the place that the sick might be protected from the heat by day and the chilliness of the night jesus was again at jerusalem walking alone in apparent meditation and prayer he came to the pool he saw the wretched sufferers watching for that which they're supposed to be their only chance of cure he longed to exercise his healing power and make every sufferer whole but it was the sabbath now i want us to put a pin on this statement when he says that but it was the sabbath day we'll come back to it the savior saw one case of supreme wretchedness it was that of a man who had been a helpless cripple for 38 years his disease was in a great degree the result of his own sin and was looked upon as a judgment from god alone and friendless feeling that he had shut out from god's mercy the sufferer had passed long years of misery he could not contend successfully with the selfish scrambling crowd his persistent efforts towards the one object and his anxiety and continual disappointment was fast wearing out wearing away the remnant of his strength and now he had little prospect of living till it should again be troubled the sick man was laying on his mat and occasionally lifting his head to gaze at the pool when a tender compassionate face bent over him and the words will thou be made whole arrested his attention he turned away wearily saying sir i have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool but while i am coming another step it down before me he simply says now jesus now simply says to the man rise take up thy bird and walk but the man's faith takes hold upon the word without questions he sets his will to obey the command of christ every nerve and muscle thrills with new life and healthful action comes to his crippled limbs and all his muscles responded to his will springing to his feet he finds himself an active man jesus had given him no assurance of divine help he simply just said to him rise up take up thy bed and walk and he responded in faith and see how he got his miracle as he hurried on his way with firm free steps praising god and rejoicing in his new found strength remember that the one thing that satan doesn't want 
is to see us rejoicing. Now the man who had been laid 38 years is now rejoicing in his newfound strength. You know, when a man is starting to walk after 38 years, he will be testing the limb. And when he puts one leg, he's so, joy- he's so joyful, I can put another one. He's trying his new fine powers to walk. He met several of the Pharisees and immediately told them of his skill. Imagine. He was surprised at the coldness with which they listened to his story. With lowering brows, they interpreted it and interrupted him, asking why he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. They sternly reminded him that it was not lawful to bear burdens on the Lord's day. In his joy, the man had forgotten that it was the Sabbath. Yet he felt no condemnation for obeying the command of one who had such power from God. He answered boldly, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. They asked who it was that had done this, but he could not tell them. These rulers knew well that only one had shown himself able to perform this miracle, but they wished for direct proof that it was Jesus, that they might condemn him as a Sabbath breaker. In their judgment, he had not only broken the law in healing the sick man on the Sabbath, but had committed sacrilege in beating him bear away his bird. Now remember that point where I say we are to come back to. Jesus had another purpose in mind for performing his greatest miracles on the Sabbath. He was making a statement. By still talking about the man now, he said, By sin we have seen that we have been severed from the life of God. Our souls are palsied. He believed Christ's word and in acting upon it he received strength. Through the same faith we may receive spiritual healing of ourselves. We are no more capable of living a holy life than was the impotent man capable of walking. The Jews, talking about why Jesus had to do the miracles, those miracles on the Sabbath, the Jews had so perverted the law that they made it a yoke of bondage. Their meaningless requirements had become a byword among other nations, especially was the Sabbath hedged in by all manner of senseless restriction. It was not to them a delight, the holy of the Lord and honorable. The scribes and the Pharisees had made its observance an intolerable burden. A Jew was not allowed to kindle a fire nor even light a candle on the Sabbath. As a consequence, the people were dependent upon the Gentiles for many services which their rulers forbade them to do for themselves. In other words, if you're a Jew today, you will not even start your car because it's like lighting um, it's like lighting up the engine, it's like lighting fire. So, But you enter cars driven by others, so in their mind, you're already condemned. So you drive it, you're breaking, they are not condemned. So the same way, same, the same thing was happening back then. They were depend on others to do for them the things that they should do, hoping that or thinking that those people are already condemned. So he said they did not reflect that it, if these acts were sinful, 
those who employ others to perform them were as guilty as if they had done the work themselves. They thought that salvation was restricted to the Jews and that the condition of all others, being already hopeless, could be made no worse. But God has given no commandments which cannot be obeyed by all. His laws sanction no unreasonable or selfish restrictions. In the temple, Jesus met the man who had been healed. He had come to bring a sin offering and also a thank offering for the great mercy he had received. Jesus came to the man and told him how to preserve his joyfulness. Finding him among the worshippers, Jesus made himself known with the warning words, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. The healed man was overjoyed at meeting his deliverer. Ignorant of the enmity towards Jesus, he told the Pharisees who had questioned him that this was he who had performed the cure. So we see that the Sabbath was a day where he planned to bring joy to the hearts of men, to bring healing and restoration to the hearts of men, even to the lives. And so instead of making the Sabbath a burden, the Sabbath is a delight. We must learn to delight ourselves in the Lord. The second story is another man who was lamed, lying down at the gate called Beautiful. And when the disciples passed and saw him, they told him, We don't have silver, we don't have gold, but what we have, we'll give it to thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And we saw the man arose. And as they went into the temple, the man started leaping. You know, when you're very happy for what God has done for you, you will leap when others walk. He leaped and shouted and glorified God. The third person is Isaiah. Just about the time when Isaiah was contemplating whether all his ministry, all his labor in seeking to bring reformation to Israel was in vain. When he was in depression, he was thinking whether he had had enough of ministry, things that make men break down. That was when he saw the Lord high and lifted. He saw the Lord in the temple. Even though he was on earth, yet he saw the Lord and when he saw the vision and he heard the Lord ask, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Seemingly loose of his surrounding. While on earth he shouted, Here am I. I am over here. Send me. So in other words, when he thought he was finished, that was when he was actually beginning. So that it is. And so it will be for everyone that sees the Lord. You understand that when you see him, all gloominess, all sorrow and pain, everything in the past lives that troubled the consciences and the souls of men will vanish away in the face of his glory and grace. This joy, the song says, that I have, the world did not give it to me and the world cannot take it away. So let us learn to find joy in the Lord. And as he says, so this is the day that the Lord has made. And we know that there is a day that the Lord, the day that the Lord has made, that we should, be re- we should rejoice and be glad in it. Our high calling, page 329, it says, The belief of the truth does not make men gloomy and uncomfortable. And then in page 33 says we may walk in the enjoyment of the truth 
it not it need not be to us a yoke of bondage but a consolation a message to us of glad tidings of great joy animating our hearts and causing us to make melody in our hearts unto God through patience and comfort of the scriptures we have hope the christian hope is not gloomy comfortless oh no no it does not shut us up in a prison of doubts and fears the truth makes free those who love and are sanctified through it they walk in the glorious liberty of the sons of god hallelujah may this be our experience in jesus name amen let us pray oh lord our father we thank you for your word tonight we thank you for your word even today blessed be your holy name we thank you oh lord for having called us to glory and virtue that we may walk in the newness of life Help us to turn our face to thee that we may not see the shadows and the gloominess and the unchurched unthankfulness that it surrounds us. May we learn to be thankful to thee whatever the situation is. This is our prayer to Christ our Lord. Amen.